Hi, and welcome to Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works, with your hosts, Zora Musa and Happy Mwende Kinyeli. Hi, I'm Zora. I'm the executive director at Mama Cash, and I'm loving that the tulips are coming out. And I'm happy I'm the director of programs at Mama Cash, and Zora totally stole my idea. (laughs) But I'll go with, I'm so excited that the sun is rising early and setting later. So today we're talking about blood. Why blood? Well, so when we're figuring out what topics to talk about this year, Zora's like, let's totally talk about blood and menstruation. My reaction was blood. You can't see my face, but like, oh my gosh, blood. And Zora's like, that's why we should talk about blood. So Zora, why are we talking about blood? Well, we're going to talk about our feelings about blood and bleeding every month. And importantly, we're going to talk about where that comes from. Why do we have the feelings that we have? Where did we learn to have those feelings from? Why it's problematic to talk about, quote, menstrual hygiene. It's a personal pet peeve. And we're also going to talk about some awesome feminist activism around menstruation. We're going to talk about our bodies and why it's totally okay to be bleeding every month and how we are handling it. Yeah, I'm cringing, but we're talking about blood. (laughs) All right, Happy, it's that episode. It's the episode you didn't want to have, and we're having anyway. Okay. On blood. Okay. And the reason we're having this episode is that we bleed. Many women bleed. There's lots of things to say about it. Lots of people have feelings about it. But we're going to start off with your feelings about it. Okay. Why do you have the reaction you have about blood? So everything that I learned from like when I was a kid was you keep this business close to heart. You don't talk about it. You hide it. So literally in primary school when I was about 11 years old, so standard five, was when... Once a year, we'd always get these people from the menstrual court around that, menstrual hygiene company, come to talk to us about our bodies. And the the people who had decided their boys would go off into a room and the people who are called girls would go off into a room. I never knew what the boys were told. But what we were told as girls was about menstruation and how to keep yourself clean because, you know, that's really important. And how to keep it secret because it's just about you and your body. And we'd always get free products like uh, uh, tampons and pads. And then we'd be told as you're walking, make sure you keep them secret, the, t- the free samples. And you don't show them to people because, again, it's secret. So <laughs> that's what we do. And then when I was in about 14, so standard eight, we had this one time as girls, we asked ourselves, wait, why are we hiding these things? So we had a revolutionary moment where we all walked back to the class waving our pads and tampons. Felt revolutionary in the moment, but you're not. But every month when you're getting it out of your bag, it's like a whole secret process where you put it in your pocket and go to the bathroom and, you know, clean yourself and come back. So this goes against like deep learning from when I was a kid. So I'm like, let's not talk about blood, but hey, time to unlearn that stuff. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to this conversation on blood. Yeah. What about you? You don't have any feelings. Why don't you have feelings or like my kind of feelings? Uh, I think I, I think I, yeah, unlearned some of it early deliberately. So it's not like I 
didn't learn to have shame around menstruating or anything like that. I'm trying to think how I even learned about it. And I think when I first got my period, I think my mother worked with me on it in a kind of very practical way. Like, okay, so now you need a pad and this is how it works. And it, 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 it was neither shameful nor not shameful it was clear that it was private business between mm -hmm. me and her and you know we didn't involve my dad or my brother for example um but not that I had to be ashamed about it mm -hmm. but just that it was like this is your this is your body it's your private business about your body and I think where I started to feel shame around it was at school if for example I leaked through my padding and it went onto my clothes that was like the worst mm -hmm. thing that could happen right it was like everybody knew you were on your period and then you had to die yeah. so I remember those kinds of feelings about it um but I think that was also at a time where anything to do with your body was just deeply embarrassing and you know there was the good bodies and the bad bodies and mm -hmm. the dirty bodies and the clean bodies and all of it mm -hmm. there were many things going on and I think I don't know, somewhere very early in my feminist activism, I just, or in my feminist thinking before it became activism, I just somehow knew that the, that unlearning noise about menstruation was a thing that had to happen. Mm -hmm. And I, it was like a decision. It wasn't like I went through each feeling or thought and thought, mm -hmm. okay, how do I reform this or switch this? Or, it was just like, no, it's fine. Yeah. And, and that was it. When you say that, so I've had that moment in my head where I've decided I won't hide the stuff. What I can't deal with is the feeling. So I remember this time I was traveling, grown as adult. I think I was probably already working at Mama Cash or my previous job. I was work. I was traveling for work, and I sleep. I was in a hotel, slept at night, bled through and um, stained the sheet. And the feeling that I got in that moment was like this huge, oh my gosh, I have failed as a woman. Um, and washed the sheet and like tried to dry it out by the time they come. And I remember watching myself do this and thinking, happy, this is absolutely ridiculous. If I'd been having sex and those come on the bed, I wouldn't have any feeling about it. I wouldn't be trying to clean it up. I'd be like, oh, it is what it is. But there's something about blood that just, I did all of that and then I, did a whole talking to, but I couldn't, it's the feeling thing that I find to this day, I still have a feeling. And I'm like, why? Even when I bleed now and I stain and I'm, and I stain my underwear, not even like, and I still have a failed as a woman. I have to talk myself <laughs> through it to be like, no, you haven't failed as a woman. Keep it moving. <laughs> so yeah, officially you haven't failed as a woman. Um, that's my opinion on that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have the feeling. Mm. So um, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing or something like this in the way that if I got snot on my sleeve, that mm. would be embarrassing. If I didn't have a Kleenex and I blew my nose or I had, I sneezed and the snot went, that, it's like that. It's like, oh, this is awkward. Um, but I don't have this, like, I don't have the disgust feeling mm. or the shame feeling. I, it's more of a like, oh, geez, how do I quickly clean up these pants and sort this out? Because I've got a really professional meeting to go to and I can't yeah. walk around in, in wet pants or something like this. But the thing, when you say this, I find it mind-blowing. Like, you don't have feelings? What? 
but the thing I find fascinating about my feelings is I remember, so um, I have two sisters. I'm the third of three girls and, they, and then my mother. So they all had their periods and I always felt like I was out of the club. And I remember how happy I was when I had my period and I took my underwear to my mom. I was like, look, I'm joining. I'm part of the club. And whenever I have my feeling, I try to reach for that memory doesn't work very well but like i want to get there i want to be at the point where i feel like yeah i sneezed and something just came out and like okay sort it out and not like have a bucket load of feelings around it i definitely did have that i remember when i first got my period i was i wasn't one of the first and i wasn't one of the last and Mm -hmm. i i just felt so i don't know what the word is kind of euphoric that i was average (laughs) I got it at the average time, you know, I got it exactly around the time others were getting it, but I wasn't the first. So I didn't, you know, it wasn't remarkable, but I also wasn't the last. Like, so there was something wrong with me as a girl or something Mm -hmm. like this. So I remember that feeling. Um, I think honestly, one of the things that's helped me shift, well, two things. One is I have this amazing zine that Mm -hmm. I got in university or just after university And it's all about, um, I think it's called something like period pants. Um, and it's, it's a, it was like, it's a zine. It's like an actual original zine and it's all about menstruation and all the different things that might be happening and how to handle it. So cramps, headaches, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, and, and kind of natural ways to address it. And then like talking about menstruation and all these kinds of things. So I think it was a very affirming zine. And I remember just finding it very beautiful and intelligent and learning things. And I remember sharing that with people. Mm. And the other thing that has, and I've, I've talked to you about this before, has radically transformed my relationship to my period. And I am, you know, I proselytize about it, as you know, is when I started using a menstrual cup. Yeah. A reusable menstrual cup, which also happened in university. Oh, wow. A long time ago. Yeah. And it, yeah. So like more than 20 years I've been using a menstrual cup and it completely and utterly and totally changed my relationship to my period. But why? What about it changed? Felt so like a shift. Well, when you use a menstrual cup, there's, there's no hiding from the blood. (laughs) That's a good way of saying it. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're using a tampon or a pad, oh, the feeling for me a lot about it is, is it's like hide it, make it disappear, flush it down the sink, uh, the toilet, or it's very chemically, it's bleached stuff, mm-hmm. um, and you're, it's all about disposing it, like catch it and dispose it. Mm. And when you've got a cup, you are right there holding <laughs> your cup of blood. Like that, I laugh because what for you was liberating for me is what I struggle with about the cup. I'm like, there's so much blood. But wow, okay, okay, <laughs> places to go. This podcast is made possible by Mama Cash. As an international fund for feminist activism, Mama Cash gives grants and other kinds of support to women, girls, trans and intersex people who are collectively fighting for a much more just and joyous world.
For today's episode, we got in touch with one of our grantee partners who works in sexual and reproductive rights. Here's what they had to say about blood. We are Hidden Pockets Collective, creating intersectional knowledge between pleasure, health and technology. As one of our projects, we have been working with young girls in urban slums where water is an issue. After working with them, we realized hygiene is not their real concern. They want some privacy, some water and something that helps in being healthy. Not clean, but healthy because they are all making daily negotiations. So we had to ensure that how do we bring in sustainable conversations around sustainability along with sexual and reproductive health and rights. Want to learn more about our work, the work of our grantee partners, and how you can support them too? Then head on over to mamacash.org. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter and be the first to hear news and stories about feminist activism. We were talking about how you have feelings, happy, (laughs) about blood and menstruation. And you mentioned a particular thing that used to happen with you in school. It was something about a menstruation menstrual hygiene company Mm. that used to come and I explained earlier how I have a bit of a pet peeve around calling it (laughs) hygiene yeah where do you think this comes from this idea that menstruating is dirty so as we're prepping for this I thought I don't think there's a podcast that we've done that I haven't somehow or the other talked about bloody colonialism so here it comes again (laughs) and this time literally bloody colonialism so my theory, and I, I, I'm talking to elders, a lot of it, at least my experience of it, was just how colonialism showed up, messed up with all our systems, and then decided that, yeah, within patriarchy, that menstruation is a problem, quotes around that, that needs to be fixed. And the way to fix it is because these, you know, these African people are not very hygienic. So let's make them, let's give them t- tips and tools about how to become hygienic. And... So one of the things that I found most fascinating as I understood the, the what happened with the fish of colonialism and the transmission of education was prior to colonialism, right, many communities, not all, at least the ones that I know of, would have um, the, the older, like, elders sit with uh, young women and young men and in the everydayness of life, talk about what what is happening to your body and what are the things that you need to do because of what, how your body is changing. If colonialism comes, there's a fissure that no longer happens. So instead, we go to a school and some strangers come in and tell us, A, that someone you have no relationship with, and it's in a box, right, in this one container. And the way then even that information gets transmitted, it's all about shame and about cleanliness. Because I remember having all these teachers, this one particular teacher who would look at us and say, yeah, like you failed as a woman because hygiene is so important. Like you, you, to be a woman, you have to keep a clean home and your clean home starts with your clean body and extra when it's time for when you're menstruating. Um, and I just think about, I mean, just the, con- the, the ideas around menstruation, but even the very products around now that we have to go and buy tampons and pads and menstrual cups and stuff like that. Um, but prior, I have one of my friends who told me um, who she's she does a lot of um, research and education, research and learning around um, sexuality and bodies and tries to recreate what existed in 
African communities prior to colonialism. And one of the things she says is, so then in some African communities, women will pull their labia. And a lot of times, right, it's been decided that it was only for sexual pleasure. But she's like, no, one of the reasons, um, one of the ways that women actually dealt with menstruation was they'd pull their labia and they'd, they'd fold it in so that when they're bleeding, it doesn't come out and they're able to go to the farm, do the work, and then they come home and they release all the blood. So, and it's not it's not a thing that becomes a problem. It just is, this is how we handle menstruation. And it's not that you go sit off in a corner and you can't participate in community. Rather, you continue living your life and we adjust because your body has also adjusted. Um, but bloody colonialism, not what I learned from my teachers. <laughs> it makes me think about if if menstruation is dirty and you have to... You have to be clean, so you have to hide it, get rid of it, deal with it. And um, the the way to do that right now is to is to buy products in many places, right? And so it just makes me think of class and how possible it is for some women to be hygienic and others will perpetually not be able to be hygienic because they can't afford the products mm -hmm. that allows them to be a certain kind of clean according to this. Yeah. Um, and we, we know it's a problem, right? Like, it's it's pretty well known that uh, in many places, girls choose not to go to school on the days that they have their period because they can't... Um, there's no clean bathrooms for them. They don't have the, the means to actually take care of their period while they're in school and things like this. So they... To avoid the shame and to avoid, I guess, appearing dirty, they don't go to school. And they're actually losing out on school. Um, do you... What do you think about that? I just, I get, just get so mad. I'm just, <laughs> I'm like without words to talk about this idea that something that happens to you every single month could make you dirty every single month. Yeah. And that everybody around you has opinions about it and very rarely checks in with you, right? So like when the menstruation companies are deciding we're going to create pads and tampons and we're going to sell them. A, we're going to sell them. And mm -hmm. B, we're going to sell them at this amount. And then families congregate, create create themselves, do their thing. And then there's, there's no point in that whole conversation when someone stops and says, but this thing is going to happen. So why would we create something that has to be sold? Why Why is that the way that we're going to deal with it? As opposed to many other ways that could be created as a society but no it's it seems to be this is and it's been this way for god knows how long and i i sit when i think about it and i'm like and you know all these people who are coming to save the poor black and brown girls make it like this is the thing we're going to do we're going to give them money to buy tampons and pads and like but the logic like at no point do we stop and think wait why is that the way that we want to handle having periods that you have to buy tampons and pads um yeah capitalism is all messed up but i don't know it just it's and not only that the the products that are available are bad for us right and so bad for the environment they're bad for the environment they're bad for our bodies mm -hmm. they make us sick they're using toxic chemicals all these kinds of things and so yeah i i I'm kind of amazed at the industry and I'm amazed at our acceptance of the industry mm -hmm. for something that is so fundamental to us being able to operate, to, to people who bleed being able to operate in the world. They need to be able to handle this. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the things we talked about in preparing this episode was the tampon tax, which is the extra tax that is on tampons that um, almost every country in the EU has a tax on tampons. Ireland is one of the countries that has the tax but puts it at zero rate, but otherwise all the other countries do. Other countries in the world do as well, like Brazil, for example, has a tampon tax. And I find it absurd, right? It's mm -hmm. a, it's absurd uh, that something that's so fundamental to you being able to operate in society would be, you'd have a tax on being a woman or be, having a tax on being a person that bleeds, let's mm -hmm. put it that way. <laughs> so there's that. And then the thing that really, really irks me is when that tax is used, um, there's a there's a fight about that tax and the response by a government is, OK, well, we'll put it back into programming for women's rights. Mm. So the UK does that. They use the tax from tampons rather than abolishing the tax. They use the tax to then fund women's organizations. And is it, has anybody done the math to see if it's actually 100% going? I, I don't think it's fully 100%. I don't remember exactly, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's just they, they paint it as this big altruistic thing that's being done. When if they just, <laughs> if they just didn't charge the tax, yeah. they wouldn't be taking money away from women mm -hmm. for being women and then funding <coughs> women's organizations to fight for feminism. Right? It's just so absurd. Um, interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, Happy, mm. but your your birth country, Kenya, um, was the first country in the world to abolish the tampon tax mm. in 2004. And now there's about a dozen countries in the world that explicitly don't have a tax. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a number of countries we don't have the information for, but uh, there are, yeah, there is that. And I'm I'm something to say. I don't. I was going to say the word proud, but I'm not sure that's true. But anyway, Canada's on the list <laughs> as a country that doesn't have a tampon tax anymore. Welcome back. It's time for the feminist mishaps where we share anecdotes of those moments. You know you've had those moments. We can call them blunders or they're just awkward because they are what they are. You're going along, being a feminist, and then suddenly everything goes slow-mo and you realize you're in fact having an awkward feminist moment. Maybe you're messing up. Maybe someone else is. Maybe it's all just too funny. You're just being awkward. Here's a blunder that came from one of our colleagues. I was eating somewhere with my husband and daughter and going through our newly bought books, which included one on women in sports. And this guy, that none of us knew, comes over and asks if he can have a look at the women in sports book. Everything gets very quiet. Husband and daughter freeze. And look at me. While he starts commenting on how nice it is that there are all these books on women and all these books on women and what they do. And then he asked me, but don't I think that this is discriminating against men? Husband and daughter brace for the worst, knowing me, but finally relax when I just roll my eyes, sigh loudly and say, sure, if you say so. The guy retreats rapidly and husband and daughter congratulate me proudly on my self-control. <laughs> Oh, good one. <laughs> so, 
relates to my own feminist blunder. When we're preparing for this podcast episode, we've been talking about, you know, everything about blood and the issues around calling it hygienic and sanitary. And then we're wrapping up, we're getting towards the end. I'm like, oh, and we so have to talk about sanitary towels. And then Zora looks over to me, she's like, and raises an eyebrow. Sanitary? I'm like, oh yeah. Just pads? (laughs) Have you also recently experienced a feminist mishap? Please reassure us that we are not alone. Send us your confessions, anonymously if you wish, and we'll try and share them on future episodes. You can reach us on Twitter at MamaCash, or you can email us at, at t at mamacash.org. That's T-E-A at mamacash.org. So earlier, Zoe, you're talking about how the first time you use a menstrual cup, it like totally revolutionized your relationship to menstruation. And I think you said a little bit about it, but... You said a little bit about it before, but I wonder if you have more to offer about what if there's any new products that you've engaged with, um, if anything has changed, what it's been like 20 years using a menstrual cup, what you proselytize to me all the time, (laughs) if you can share that with us. Sure. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I'm not egging it when I say it it changed everything. Um, It's. It feels completely different than using a tampon. It, my relationship to my period changed because you can see it in a very different way. Um, a reusable menstrual cup is made out of silicone or rubber, and it's a it's a kind of small cup, really. It's foldable, it's malleable, but it fits inside your vagina, and it sits there and collects the blood, and then you pull it out, um, empty it, wash it, and put it back in through your menstrual cycle while you're on your period. And it means you can see how much blood is coming out of you on an hourly or daily basis, which blew my mind, right? Mm -hmm. I had no concept of actually how much was happening. You know, you have heavy days or lighter days or something like this, but I think I, I had, I don't know, kind of bizarre ideas about how much blood was actually coming out of me until I could see, like, Actually, this is how much comes out. And even when I talk to people now about how much they think they're bleeding, it's it's not at all real, right? It's I don't know where we got our ideas about this from. So it changes that way. And you also learn different things about um, how it looks, how it smells, what's actually coming out of you, because the what what's exiting you is not just blood. It's it's pieces, right, mm-hmm. that are coming out and things like this. Um, I've it's also Speaking of um, feminist mishaps, some of my most hysterical, embarrassing situations are to do with using a menstrual cup because uh, over 20 years, I've, I've also learned to use it in public mm. bathrooms. Wow. And this is not art, not science. It is sport. <laughs> <laughs> so there's techniques about how to get it out, how to run it to the the sink clean it and get back into the stall when there's a really long queue (laughs) or you know trying to like empty an entire cup of blood into a sink when you know there's 15 other people in the bathroom with you using the sinks and you just look like you're just dropping something very alarming down the sink and things like this so I have many many funny stories about just yeah, it going everywhere, things getting very messy, but also getting really good at figuring it out. And also totally losing, we were talking about shame and embarrassment. I mean, 
the most ridiculous things have happened to me and it's just like you just get over it and I think that's part of why I'm just like yeah okay here's another story for the bank around <laughs> like whoops totally pulled that out at the wrong time or whoops misjudged how that person was going to feel about me throwing blood down the sink or whatever oh wow and you are you using the cup, not using the cup? How's it all going? So I do use the cup, but I only use it at home for all the reasons that you talked about. I'm not ooh, I'm not in a place where I can go pour blood down the sink. Like, power to you. I can't imagine doing that. Not even at the Mama Cash office. A couple of times when I started using the the Diva Cup, and I, I have to say, I started using the Diva Cup after you came and proselytized to me, so I converted. You should, like, pat yourself on the back. Good job. Um, and I got one, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I remember the experience of putting it in, because it's... It's awkwardly shaped is the best way of saying it. Sure, you can fold it in, but it kind of feels like a female condom, right? The way you have to fold it in and put in the silicon malleable stuff inside. And then and I feel it open up inside me. And I'm like, okay, has it sealed? Is it right? Nothing is leaking good. And I'm fine with it. Then I have to take it out and I have to, you know, unseal it. So I kind of pop it open and pull it out. And again, pulling it out also feels awkward. But... All that I can deal with is just then when it comes out, it can splash and stuff. Like at least when I'm at home, I can I know where the cleaning stuff is. I don't have to have conversations and stuff. But I'm like I'm nowhere near taking that public. I'm not taking the show on the road not anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> Gonna work up my nerve. I don't even sleep with it through the night because I feel like because I'll have to change in the middle of the night at least in the first few days, and the process will wake me up so much. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I'll just do it. I'll wait until I'm expert at it. I have to say, I, I mean, first of all, I've had two two decades or so of practice, mm-hmm. um, but some of my kind of hysterical, embarrassing, most hysterical and embarrassing moments have been my mishaps, my big feminist mishaps have had to do with changing my menstrual cup in public bathrooms. And there's definitely been occasions where something has gone very wrong. Um, and I've run out of the public bathroom hoping, and I don't know where I get this from, that they won't test the blood and find out that it's mine, that I'm the one who left the big mess of blood. Yeah. What about reusable pads? So Amanda also gave me a reusable pad. Haven't gotten to using it because it feels too visceral. For me, it reminds me of washing um, my knickers when I stain them. Like, I'm not ready to go there. And I can't wrap my head around putting it in a washing machine. Like, I have to hand wash it if I'm going to use it. Um, Zora's your I'm shaking my head. <laughs> shaking her head. In disappointment. <laughs> so, but then I'm working my nerve up. So what I've done right now is I have it at home in a place where I see it every day so that I don't, like, 10 years from now rediscover it and be like, oh, why? Like, maybe if I work my way up, I'll be able to be like, okay, now I have it. Now I've used it once or twice and I've gotten over the washing because it's the washing piece. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of work. So I'm going to challenge you here. Oh, my God. You're all about decolonization. <laughs> yes. So obviously, I gotta do it. Yeah. Before that whole colonialism project, okay. folks were using cloth. That's true. Yeah, and they washed that stuff out after and, and reused it. Hang it outside to yeah. dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
until they were told that's not the way and they had to buy this product in the market. Do you use the reusable pad? The oh, yeah. Pad? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't use any... I only use the cup and reusable pads. Okay. Um, but it's been many years of that. And so I, I'm practiced at it, right? So I don't, I don't... And you wash it in the washing machine? Yep. Yep. You all can't see, but my face has incredulity written all over it. But also because I'm using the cup, there's not that much blood, if any. Like That's I'm true. using it as a liner, mm-hmm. um, a reusable pad as a liner on really heavy days or at the end or something like that. So there's not a lot of blood on it. And in the beginning, when I used to have many more mishaps and there was more blood on it, um, I would do things like soak it first mm-hmm. um, and then put it in the wash and things like this. But I, because I, I think I have that thing where I don't find it unclean yeah then for it to go in the wash for me it's like well where else would you put something that needs cleaning like I don't have a reaction to it being blood or something like this I'm just like well it's needs to be clean so there it goes Mm -hmm. Hmm. yeah okay cool cool well I challenge accepted (laughs) by this time next year (laughs) I'm giving myself a full 12 months to wrap my head around you heard it here you heard it here first (laughs) yeah Let's talk a little bit about the activism that happens around this, because the menstrual pad that we received um, as a gift from Amanda and the ones that I have had in the past have come from activists who have actually made their own. And there's um, I've been I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've actually had sessions with other women where we sit down and we make our own pads Hmm. Um, and we used to kind of swap designs and things like this. Um, That's that's one piece of activism. But there's there's a lot more. Some of our. Our partners are doing pretty radical work around sexual and reproductive health and rights, for example. But we didn't find any that are particularly working on mm-hmm. addressing this. But there are some others that we were hearing about. Yeah. And we'll we'll share some of the stories of stuff that we've heard. But there's also links in the show notes where you can click on them and read more. But, uh, for example, there's a British teenager in the UK. Her name is Amika George who learned that one in 10 girls in the UK cannot afford tampons or sanitary, or sanitary pads. pads, And she launched the hashtag free periods campaign to pressure the government to make um, menstrual products free for girls in the country. And her campaign led to the UK government pledging about $2 million in funds collected from the tampon tax towards initiatives to end pe- period poverty. So this for me is classic, right? Where the UK government is taking the money to address the poverty that was anyway created by having the tax on the, <laughs> on the tampon. But anyway, um, one piece of activism I was quite inspired by and I saw a lot um, on social media about was at the start of this year, on the 1st of January, 5 million women in Kerala in southern India joined hands to form a 385 mile which 620 kilometer um length long (laughs) uh wall a women's wall to protest the persistent barring of women from the sabaramala temple complex which has historically banned women of a menstruating age which is defined as between 10 and 50 years old the ban was actually overturned last year by india's supreme court but things hadn't really changed in practice until this amazing protest took place After the protest, two women in their 40s entered the temple for the first time in possibly centuries. I think this is amazing. I mean, 620 kilometers. Mm -hmm. Women just decided, no, they were going to stand up about this and formed a wall. 
that was just kilometers and kilometers and it was I don't know if you saw any of the pictures like all kinds of women um, old women young women different classes from like from different places in 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 the area it was just amazing and some of them were had clearly come like organized so they had come as part of their groups and Mm -hmm. were wearing similar clothes um, like almost kind of uniforms or something, like if they were from, from the same organization and then others were, were not, not particularly attached to anything. It was an incredible mobilization. Yeah, five million women. Five million women! 620 kilometers, that's quite yeah. something. Yeah. So there's some pretty amazing activism around this kind of pretty basic thing that... Mm-hmm. Um, so many women and girls experience and many other people are experiencing yeah. around blood, bleeding and how in the world to deal with it. Yeah, if nothing, this session, this um, podcast session has been good therapy for me. So thank you all for listening. You can find Mama Cash on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We want to hear from you. It would also really help if you reviewed us on iTunes. You can give us a quick star rating or leave a comment. You can also always reach us with questions, feedback, or ideas at tea at mamacash.org. That's T-T-E-A at mamacash.org. Thank you so much for listening. This is Tea with Mama Cash because feminist activism works. We're your hosts, Zora Musa, and Happy Monday Kinyili. Signing, Signing off, off until, until the, the next, next time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gigler, Mike Mirkovich, and Sophia Sewell, our colleagues at Mama Cash. We record tea with Mama Cash in Studio Amsterdam with help from Nick DeWitt, who also does the audio post-production.